A writer has released new information saying that former President Barack Pajama, or Bahama, or Orama, it's hard to remember his name now that Donald Trump has particleized his legacy into indiscernible grainlets of historical dust blown into obscurity by the winds of time. But anyway, Barack your mama is apparently angry that Donald Trump has particleized his legacy into indiscernible grainlets of historical dust blown into obscurity by the winds of time. The new information is included in the latest edition of a book by Peter Baker, the chief White House correspondent for The New York Times, a former newspaper. In the Baker book, former President O'Hara says that he took the 2016 defeat of Hillary Clinton as a, quote, personal insult, unquote, especially after voters emerged from the voting booth shouting, hey, Obama, you're a corrupt incompetent, so I voted for Donald Trump and would have voted for him even if he were a slab of roast beef, so take that, you buffoon. Baker says Bavama was also angry at Hillary Clinton for running what he called a, quote, soulless campaign, unquote. Clinton defenders say Obama's been unfair, and a soulless campaign was the only sort of campaign Hillary could run, given her personal circumstances. Obama said he was worried that when people looked back on his administration, they would only remember the sluggish economy, the Middle East's descent into chaos, the abuse of the IRS to silence political enemies, the abuse of the FBI to spy on political opponents, the abuse of the State Department to cover up fatal incompetence in Benghazi, and the abuse of the Justice Department to cover up the fast and furious scandal that cost an American law officer his life. And they would forget the happy times, like all the race riots and the Obamacare fiasco. Baker's book is available now and is entitled Obama, The Call of History, because it describes how history called Obama to say goodbye and don't let the door hit you on your way out. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing, oh, hurrah, Hooray, hurrah. Back in 2014, political commentator Jim Treacher sent out a tweet that said, modern journalism is all about deciding which facts the public shouldn't know because they might reflect badly on Democrats. That is absolutely true. And at this point, that means journalists have to keep basically all the facts away from the public. And that's what the news looks like to me. What is the news right now? The economy is great, unbelievably great, largely due to Trump's deregulation and his tax cuts. A massive conspiracy has come to light in which the Obama administration's FBI, working on the flimsiest of excuses, infiltrated the campaign of a rival political candidate. Venezuela is collapsing largely because socialist tyrants, with the help of Cuban secret police, backed by the Russians and Iranians, have nationalized and then plundered the nation's wealth and oppressed its people. And Israel is under attack because the Muslim world can't imitate its success without changing changing its principles, so it would rather wipe Israel out. That's the news. What's the news the mainstream media is reporting? Robert Mueller was disgruntled about the attorney general's summary of a report that has now been fully released. Now, that would be hilarious if it weren't serious, and even though it's serious, it's also kind of hilarious, but it tells us something. For the right, the big news story is reality, the economy, the Constitution, war and peace. For the left, the big news story is the news story itself, the narrative, and controlling the narrative and silencing any narrative that's not theirs. Because the biggest news story of all right now is that the news media has become the enemy of the news. And we'll talk about it in a sec. But first, we've got a new sponsor. Let us welcome NetSuite. Uh, you know, I people don't know this, but I am a small business. You are looking at a small business. And 
I can tell you this, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And the problem that growing businesses face is that that they have so many different business systems that they can't put all their numbers together and see them all in one place. They have one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and it's a big, inefficient mess. This is why there's NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud port platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash Clavin. That's netsuite.com slash Clavin to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits, NetSuite dot com slash Clavin. Very first thing you should turn this powerful computer to finding out is how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Let me begin what I have to say today with a tape from NPR, the government-funded socialist uh, news agency. Um, this is their show, Net NPR Politics, and they're interviewing their justice correspondent, Carrie Johnson, about Mueller's letter complaining about Barr's summary about a report that has now been released in its full 400-page glory. Okay, so Carrie, let me make sure I have the timeline of this all right, because there's a lot of letters involved, and apparently more letters coming soon. Okay, so we have William Barr sends his four-page letter to Congress that, that becomes public saying, here's what Robert Mueller found. Robert Mueller doesn't like that. He writes his own private letter to William Barr. After he sends that letter and Barr presumably reads that letter, Barr goes to Congress and says, I don't know of any concerns, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So March 24th, a date that will live in my brain in infamy, <laughs> uh, Sunday, remember, Barr sends this four-page letter to Congress. So a date that will live in infamy, you will remember, that is how FDR described Pearl Harbor, where something like 2,500 Americans died after a sneak attack by the Japanese. That is the term that she uses to describe this, this summary that Barr sent out about a report he didn't even have to release to the public to tell people what's in the report. No collusion, Trump was not colluding with the Russians, and Mueller had declined to say whether he should be charged with uh, obstruction of justice, but Barr said no. This lives in infamy. Why? Well, the New York Times told us why, that the Democrats, the left, the media, but I repeat myself, th they were worried that this took over the narrative. It, it put forward, it got the narrative out that Trump was innocent and this thing was a complete hoax. This Russian collusion thing was a complete hoax, which it essentially was. It got it out there before the New York Times and before NPR and before the um, networks and CNN and the rest had a chance to skew the narrative that way. That's why they've been working overtime at doing this. Right now, they are talking in the House about holding Barr in contempt of Congress because he doesn't want to show up for a uh, hearing in which he will be questioned as no other attorney general in a form that no other attorney general has ever been questioned by, uh, questioned in. They will have lawyers just pounding him with questions for like 30 minutes. And he said, no, I agreed to talk to the House. You're the elected people, you should know what you're doing, you should be able to, to question me. So this massive, massive uh, effort has come to get the narrative back, because that's what they care about. 
not the economy, not the fact that the poorest people, the people who were forgotten, the people that uh, Obama said would never have jobs again, not the fact that they're, they have not only have jobs again, but that their wages are rising faster than rich people's wages. I mean, not any of that. That's not the news. Not the fact that, oh, look, Venezuela is falling apart. Why is that? What happened there? Not the fact that, you know, Israel once again under attack, and we'll talk about that too, but, but we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about the fact that Mueller was grumpy because it wasn't negative. What Barr said wasn't negative enough, and that grumpiness reflects the general grumpiness of the press that Donald Trump has not only, was not only found innocent, but now, now the attention is turning to how this stupid thing got started. And look, if I had to guess, I can't prove this, but I had to, if I had to guess, this entire thing was a panicky way of covering up what the FBI did, which never would have come to light, never would have come to light if Hillary Clinton had won. So here's the thing about this, right? All they care about is this narrative. Martin Swain in the Wall Street Journal, he's a, a, he writes about political books for the journal. He responded to James Comey's incredible sanctimonious uh, self-serving op-ed in the New York Times. He wrote this op-ed saying, oh, Barr, his soul is being eaten by Donald Trump because Donald Trump is so corrupt, he eats your soul, but he couldn't eat my soul because my soul is shrouded in a sort of wonderful halo of, a shielding halo of sanctimony and self-righteousness. So Donald Trump couldn't touch my soul, but Barr's soul is being eaten away because he took control of this narrative when it's our job to control the narrative. And Swain says, you know, that in this op-ed, Comey never has to prove any of the points he makes. And the reason is he's writing for the New York Times where it's all taken as given. And he says, Mr. Comey's op-ed nicely captures what ails present-day American liberalism, by which he means leftism, because there's nothing liberal about it. He says, its defining characteristic is a labored ignorance of the other side. Liberals frequently neither know nor care what non-liberals think. Their own views predominate in the universities and media. Why bother considering lesser ones? Liberals take the other side seriously, mainly when it has the bad manners to win an election and hold power. Conservatives have no such luxury. However angular and ignorant a right-of-center commentator may be, he can't ignore liberal opinions. He says, turn your radio dial back and forth between NPR and talk radio. On NPR, references to conservatives and conservatism are few and awkward. The word conservative, and this is really important, he says, the word conservative often attaches to people very few conservatives recognize as ideological associates, from centrist liberals like David Brooks to eccentric figures like Steve Bannon. And this is why Ben is always being called alt-right. They have no idea that Ben hates the alt-right, that he stands opposed to the alt-right. They just think, well, he's somewhere over there in that dark corner. This is the thing. They don't listen because they think there's only one opinion. And this is why they can keep saying this. And, that, and, that's, why, and that's why they don't see themselves. They don't see what they look like to the rest of us. They don't hear and they don't report the news. Now, I just, I just want to finish talk, talking about some of this. I don't want to get into the deep weeds about the FBI did this and the FBI did that, but just about the way it's being reported. You only have to think about the fact that if George W. Bush had sent the FBI to spy on uh, Obama's campaign, we would not be discussing the meaning of spying. But now we've got the New York Times finally admitting, finally publishing leaked FBI stuff because the FBI knows that the uh, Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report is coming out. They know it's coming out. And they want to get ahead of it by going to friendly people. The New York Times, who now represents 
federal law enforcement spying on opposition campaigns. That's what the New York Times now stands for, right? They don't stand for reporting the news. They don't stand for defending the Constitution. They stand for guys like Obama using the FBI to spy on opposition campaigns. That's what the FBI represents, okay? So they now admit because it's been leaked to them. FBI sent investigator posing as assistant to meet with Trump aide in 2016. This is George Papadopoulos. They sent a woman whose name was, she had some uh, interesting uh, code name, Azra Turk. They sent her to ask Papadopoulos, was the Trump, Trump campaign working with Russia? So even on MSNBC, the guy, one of the guys who wrote this report, um, uh, Michael Schmidt, goes on MSNBC and Willie Geist asks him, unbelievably, asking the $64,000 question. Let me start with the central question on a lot of people's minds last night as they first read it and as they read it this morning. How was this not spying? Well, I, I guess it uh, depends on your definition of spying. The attorney general sort of saying the other day that he has an expansive view of spying, including legal spying in the way that if the government actually has the right to be doing it, that spying is not illegal. Others have a different connotation of it and see it more nefariously. What this was, was the FBI felt that it needed to have eyes and ears on the ground as it used a confidential informant to speak to two Trump campaign officials. And what they did was, is they installed a woman with this professor in England who made these attempts to talk to these individuals. And the woman herself spoke to at least one of them. What this showed to us was sort of how seriously the FBI was taking the problem. <laughs> Who cares how seriously the FBI is taking the problem now that we know that they were wrong in every respect? Not only did Trump not collude with the Russians, but George Papadopoulos had no notion that anything was going on. The, the uh, premise is that Papadopoulos knew that the Russians had hacked these emails, which turns out not to be true. And the only person who had talked to him about this was a guy named Mefsud, a professor who they, they, the Mueller report tries to show as a Russian spy, but in fact was a guy who had only worked with our intelligence agencies. That's all he had worked with. So, so obviously, it, there's some suspicion that the information was planted on Papadopoulos to give them an excuse to spy on this campaign. Look, I don't know what happened. It may, it may have been an innocent mistake in some ways in the sense that they panicked, but the fact that the idea that a, a sanctimonious buffoon like James Comey thought the FBI could properly be used to spy on a Republican campaign under the Obama administration tells you everything you need to know about the Obama administration, but also everything you need to know about the New York Times, a former newspaper, now the defender of government interference in elections through federal law enforcement agencies. So the press is gone. I mean, we can't be shocked about this every time we hear about it. The press is gone. And it doesn't just happen in these little, in these stories that are happening. It happens in a great, a much broader sense. I'll get to that in a second. Let us talk about Ring. Ring is the, Ring is really great. It is a system for making your house safer, which in turn makes your neighborhood safer. You gotta have this stuff. It's a wonderful uh, doorbell, for instance, that gives you a video of who is at your door. You can talk to them on your phone no matter where you are, which is really reassuring to me because I travel a lot and I wanna be able to see who's at the door on 
the Ring phone, and also they have uh, a system that will automatically turn on spotlights when people come on to your property. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. A package delivery, surprise visitor, you can talk to the person there, and that's thanks to their HD video and two-way audio features on all Ring devices. As a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now with a video doorbell and the motion-activated floodlight cam I was talking about before. The starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash Clavin. That's ring.com slash Clavin. For this special offer, you will be able to question anybody who comes to your door and ask him, how do you spell Clavin? If he doesn't know, call the police. That's uh, really, uh, anyone who at this point doesn't know how to spell Clavin is a suspicious character. So we're talking about this story, this story that is about the spying on, um, on the Trump campaign and the fact that instead of talking about that, we're talking about Mueller, this desperate attempt to hide, for the Democrats to hide what their administration did, and the fact that the New York Times is helping them hide it, is openly saying, no, no, this was a good thing. But of course, it's an entire, there's a, it, it goes to an entire broader view of how the world is covered. And we know this. I mean, it's not new news, but it's important to remember just how vast it's gotten. For instance, uh, April 22nd, uh, the Muslim American Society, Muslim American Society Islamic Center in Philadelphia uploads a video of an Ummah Day celebration. I think Ummah means uh, community. I, I think that's what it means. Uh, they put this on his Facebook page, and young children are seen wearing Palestinian scarves and singing, Glorious Steeds Call Us and Lead Us to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. That's the mosque in Jerusalem that basically the Muslims claim should be theirs. They claim Jerusalem should be theirs. Uh, the blood of martyrs protects us. These, these poor kids, I mean, it's like being brainwashed. Take us, O ships, until we reach our shores and crush the treacherous ones. Flow, O rivers of martyrs, and they go on saying uh, that we will chop off their heads, uh, we will defend pa Palestine with our bodies, we will chop off their heads, and we will liberate the sorrowful and exalted Al-Aqsa Mosque. And they go on and say, oh, it's just, it's, it's awful, it's child abuse, there's no question about it. Uh, later they apologize, saying there hadn't been enough supervision. You can see the teachers standing there, the adults are standing there. Now, you remember the Covington kids, right, the Catholic school kids who got screamed at and how they sat, stood there and they withstood that with dignity, smiling, trying to be friendly, trying to, and how the press went after them, okay? We remember this, and so we know that this is, you haven't heard anything about this probably. This, if, you, if you have, you've heard it on right-wing uh, sites like the Daily Wire. You haven't heard about it on CNN. I don't think, I don't know if they covered it at all. They certainly didn't do what they did with Covington, where they stood there and said, oh, you know, these horrible, look at the smug look on that kid's face. And once you wear a MAGA hat, you know, once you wear a MAGA hat, that's immediately a racist thing to do, where nobody is saying, for instance, when you wear that Palestinian scarf, that that's a racist thing to do. So meanwhile, over the weekend, the terrorists in the Gaza Strip uh, the uh, Palestinian terrorists in the Gaza Strip start shelling Israel, unleashing this absolute barrage. It's still going on, a barrage of missiles uh, at the state of Israel, our ally, because it is a fellow free country in a uh, region that doesn't have enough freedom in it. The Israelis hit back, and of course, what these terrorists do, I mean, it really is dreadful. What the terrorists do is they surround their guns with... Um, 
with civilians, with women and children. So when the Israelis strike back, they use the bodies of these children uh, and these and these women uh, as propaganda. Oh, look how Israel is killing our civilians. But of course, they opened fire on a country. And I don't have to tell you that if we were opened fire, somebody opened fire on us, we would respond. Now, Rashid Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, the two Muslims in uh, Congress, unleash this Twitter stuff where uh, Tlaib says, when will the world stop dehumanizing our Palestinian people who just want to be free? Now, obviously, this word our just leaps out at you. This is an American congresswoman. How are they our Palestinian people? I mean, Israel is our ally. They're not our people. If I had to stand with America or Israel, I would stand with America 100% of the time, not 99.9% .9 of the time. I'm an American all the way, constantly. The Israeli people are not my people, but they are our allies. How did the Palestinian people get to be our people? Why is this woman in Congress? Ilhan Omar, she said, how many more protesters must be shot, rockets must be fired, and little kids must be killed until the endless cycle of violence ends? I love the cycle of violence. It reminds me of The Lion King. They talk about the, <laughs> the circle of life. I always tell my wife, it's not a circle of life. It's actually a semicircle. You know, she goes, wham, because it ends. Well, this, the cycle of violence in the Middle East is the same thing. Remove the Palestinians, and the cycle of violence is over. Right? It's only a cycle going in one direction. It's a semicircle of violence. It's like fire at the Israelis. If the Israelis, uh, if, if the Palestinians didn't fire, certainly the Israelis wouldn't fire. So it's an entire philosophy that's being put forward. You know, I don't actually think, I think uh, Islamic radicalism is dangerous, stupid, uh, vile, uh, oppressive. Uh, it's oppressive to the people. But I don't actually think that it is an existential threat. I think the left, the American left and the European left's um, appeasement of it is a threat, okay? You know, it's funny, there's this thing in um, the uh, Sports Illustrated um, swimsuit edition. It used to be my favorite edition before I canceled uh, Sports Illustrated for their absolute leftism uh, that just got on my nerves after a while. I thought, why am I giving them my money? So I canceled my subscription. I can see girls in swimsuits anywhere. So. Anyway, they, they have one girl, she's a very, very beautiful Muslim girl, uh, wearing what they call a burkini, which covers her up more. And people were attacking uh, SI for putting this in there. But see, I think that they're making a mistake here. I mean, obviously, Sports Illustrated is just pushing their leftist line, uh, and, and they're doing something hypocritical and stupid. I get that. That's true. But I don't have an, a, a problem with Muslim women being modest. I don't have a problem with, you know, obviously those ghost outfits they put on that look like the ghost of Christmas uh, yet to come, that's ridiculous. Uh, it's that is in and of itself oppressive. But wearing, covering your hair, wearing, I, you know, if, if that is w the way a woman wants to present herself, uh, I actually respect that a lot. I think it's respectful to herself. I think it's respectful to men to present yourself in a modest way. I've got no problem with that. My problem is if she decides not to do that and they kill her. There's the picture uh, they're putting up. Yeah, I mean, absolutely beautiful woman covering herself up. I have no problem with that. That's not my problem. My problem is if she stops doing that, they kill her. That is, is the problem. The problem is the radicalism. The problem is the intolerance. The problem is the fact that a, that a large swath of Islam has not gotten the memo about the 21st century, all right? So when they're telling us that this is not, it's not an issue that Talib and Ilhan Omar say these things, these anti-Israel, anti-freedom, anti-American things, and they can hide behind their 
color and they're, uh, oh, I'm a, as a woman of color, I know that people are going to tell me that I don't know what I, you're, I'm talking about. I think you know what you're talking about. I think you're just wrong and evil. I think that's different, and I don't have, think that has anything to do with your color or with your sex. But when you have a press that is now dedicated to hiding, just like with the Trump scandal, the Obama uh, spying scandal, when you have a press that is dedicated to hiding one side and only telling one side, they may not be the enemy of the people, but they are the enemy of the news. They, news media, the American news media, is the enemy of the news. And in order to keep this going, ultimately, because we're going to use technology to strike back, right? We're going to start the Daily Wire. We're going to start Fox News. We're going to start places where the other voices can be heard, where other opinions can be heard. Uh, it's not good for the country to have a news media that's only on one side. So now we have a, a news media where the, we have this kind of rebel band, this rebel alliance of conservatives kind of fighting back, trying to get the news out. Ultimately, you're going to have to censor them, and that's what's happening with Facebook. Facebook and Instagram banned Alex Jones, InfoWars, Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, Paul Joseph Watson, who's an editor for uh, InfoWars, Laura Loomer, uh, Paul Nealon, and Louis Farrakhan. Now, I like the fact that on the, at the Atlantic Monthly, uh, and I think Washington Post, too, they're calling this, these people far right, like Louis Farrakhan, pal to... Uh, um, the pastor Wright, who was Obama's pastor, that picture of Obama with Farrakhan uh, palling around with him that was suppressed because they didn't want it to affect the election. Uh, all the black congressional con um, caucus has been hanging out with Farrakhan. He's, there's no way that that guy is a right winger. So I dislike all these people. I, I got to be honest. I think InfoWars is a irresponsible, stupid site. I think Alex Jones is either a fraud or a crazy man. I can't tell which. Um, I don't like the, the opinions of any of these people. Milo, you know, I always hoped Milo would kind of pull it together and come back the other way, but he didn't. Um, he's become kind of a fascist and a bigot, and I think that's, or at least presenting himself that way, and I think it's a shame. All of them should be allowed to speak. Every single one of them should be allowed to speak. They are only dangerous when they're silenced. You know, they keep pointing to Europe and saying, well, they silence them there. Who has a bigger problem with fascism? Us or Europe? Europe does, because they silence them, because they give them power. Let them speak. We, will, we can make fun of them. We can attack them. We can uh, argue with them. But you don't silence them. And the reason they're silencing them is to get at the rest of us. They're trying to get at Ben. That's why they keep saying Ben is an alt-right guy. He'll be the next to go. They go after everybody. Uh, ultimately, because who decides? Who decides this stuff, you know? I mean, who decides who the, the right is? It's going to be the left. And as we just saw, heard in that Wall Street Journal op-ed, they don't know anything about us. They, don't, they can't tell the difference between me and Alex Jones. They can't tell the difference. So they're going to they, they silence uh, James Woods. They threw him off Twitter. They don't know the difference because they never engage with us. They never have to, you know, and so they don't know who we are. You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, Jane Koston. Uh, the uh, liberal writer for Vox, she has a piece out about some neo-Nazis on the alt-right, and it starts out with one of these neo-Nazis saying, you know, we need to remain in the realm of the hip and the cool and the sexy and the fun. And I thought, yeah, that's not a plan that's going to work because you're a Nazi. You're not hip. You're not cool. You're not fun. Bring it. Let them come on. Let them try and put their, put their opinions on. We do not want them um, silenced. So Donald Trump, starts retweeting some of these people. Alex Jones has been a supporter of his, so he retweets some of InfoWars stuff. Uh, you know, so let me just show you, I think it was something like International Press Day. 
So let me just show you Wolf Blitzer talking about the press to give you the idea of who the press thinks that they are, because they never engage with anybody who disagrees with them. This is who they think they are. Sadly, right here in the United States, reporters who show up to do their jobs are often insulted, harassed, sometimes, as was the case of our friends at the Capitol Gazette in Maryland, they're killed. And they're called the enemy of the people by the President of the United States. On this World Press Freedom Day, I'm reminded of the words of the brilliant Dallas TV anchor Dale Hansen, who recently said, we aren't the enemy of the people, we are the people. Reporters around the world, they risk their lives to document war and risk their freedom to confront despots. They, we, we are just like you. We are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, doing our duty to shine light where there is darkness, always hoping to make it home to our families at the end of the day, just like you. They're just like you, except Democrats. I mean, that's the difference. They're just like you, except Democrats. They want to shine the light into the darkness unless it looks bad for Democrats, okay? That's, but that's their image. Oh, we're such heroes. We just hope we can get home safely to our wives and children. I mean, they just threatened Ben's life. They just arrested a guy for threatening to kill Ben. You know, I mean, it's like, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure... Listen, I know that there are journalists who are out there in dangerous situations, but it's not dangerous to be an American journalist covering uh, American stories. It's dangerous to go overseas where they, they're oppressed. But that's their idea, that we're such heroes. We're just like you, only Democrats, but we're just like you. Here's Brian Stelter, okay, reacting to the Facebook ban on people that he disagrees with, where he should be, if he really does believe in this First Amendment, if he really believes in the heroic press, if he really believes in shining light into the darkness, he should let every voice be heard. Instead, we get this about Trump retweeting some of these guys. President Trump's furious reaction to Facebook's action showcases that he is, I'm sorry to say, the InfoWars president. He is promoting the same alternative universe as InfoWars and sharing videos from repugnant characters. Now, InfoWars, of course, is that web show and website led by rageaholic Alex Jones. Full of fear-mongering and conspiracy, conspiracy theorizing, InfoWars tells viewers that the world is out to get them. Jones is facing multiple lawsuits related to his lies about the Sandy Hook school massacre and the murder of DNC staffer Seth Rich. But none of this seems to repel President Trump. InfoWars content is useful to him. InfoWars personalities align with him. He, he even gave an interview to Alex Jones back on the campaign trail. On Saturday, Trump went on a Twitter spree and said, it's so great to watch this while sharing a video from InfoWars. He also repeatedly retweeted a guy named Paul Joseph Watson, one of the InfoWars figures who's been banned by Facebook. So let's play the InfoWars video that Trump played. It is a demonstration, pro-Trump demonstration with anti-Trump protesters there. And if you're not watching, many of the people who are being interviewed are black Americans, which I think is important because... Obviously, the Democrats have been selling this idea that we want to put you all back in chains forever. And some some people are finally waking up, including the great actor Isaiah Washington, by the way, which I'm very excited about because he was in True Crime, actually terrific actor who has joined the walkaway movement. But here's the InfoWars tape that Brian Stelter... Brian Stelter is implying that by playing this video, Donald Trump becomes linked to the stupid stuff that uh, InfoWars was putting out about Sandy Hook. Let's listen. He's already done so much for the country, and he's, he's really doing a great job. Uh, as far as abortion goes, that was one of my big issues. Um, I very heavily stand for the unborn, 
and so his his policies as far as that goes has really really affected me. He is a great man for our country. I do believe so. Yes, I do. I love Trump. Go Trump! The hate is clearly over there. He's trying to give us like freedom. You can, you can feel the vibes of hate coming from over there. Yeah. If you look over here, the people aren't screaming at them. Peaceful protesting. This is not what peaceful protesting is all about. This is what they think is acceptable. This is not what Trump stands for, but they don't understand that. Why are they mad for us believing what we believe and we're not mad at them for believing what they believe? Like, I mean, I think it's all out here to get each other out of our skin and I love it. It's out here for entertainment purposes for me. <laughs> they say because I'm black I should be over there. And I'm not black. I don't go by black. I go by two or more races. <laughs> I can't find the hate. I've been looking for hate all day. Hate was over here with the protesters. There's been no hate in the Trump crowd. <laughs> that, that, that's a, it is a powerful video, especially uh, because of the wisdom of the people supporting Trump and the anger of the people attacking Trump. And Brian Stelter, all he can do in his brave journalistic way is basically try what they've been doing, trying to do to Trump from the beginning, is try to tar him with that brush instead of just telling the truth, instead of telling the truth. You know, the fact that the press has abandoned us and they have. They've abandoned us. If the New York Times is supporting spying on, alter, you know, sending the FBI to spy on opponents' campaigns, they've abandoned the American idea. They've abandoned the Constitution. Because they are, we are on our own. And that means we are going to have to be responsible. We are going to have to look at people like Alex Jones and say, no, this is garbage. Uh, this Seth Rich thing is nonsense. Um, you know, and it was nonsense. And I, I researched it to make sure, and it is, you know, we are going to have to do that work because the press isn't doing it for us because we can't trust them anymore. But when we do that work, I think there is going to be some stuff that we're going to say, hey, you know what? The left is wrong about how to handle these problems, but it's not always wrong about the fact that problems exist. And that's going to be, that is going to fall on us too. It's, it's time for us to respond. It's time for us to respond not just by saying black when the press says white, but by saying truth when the press says nothing, because nothing is the news as far as the press is concerned. We have got the lovely and talented Michael Knowles, talented, Michael, sort of talented Michael Knowles, coming up to talk about the fact that they named a street in L.A. after our hero, Barack Obama, or Bahama. I can't even remember what his name is anymore because his legacy is, has vanished somehow. But we'll talk to him in a minute. Meanwhile, we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Subscribe at dailywire.com, and you get all kinds of wonderful things, including you get to be in the mailbag where it is stuffy and a little scratchy. You might get allergic, but you get to ask any question you want, and we will answer them. Knowles. All right. <laughs> good to oh, it's you. so good to be here in the President Barack Obama studio <laughs> here at the President Barack Obama building on Barack Obama <laughs> Avenue. Boulevard. <laughs> it's, it's Obama's world. We're just living We're in just it. We're just living in it. Uh, so this was an actual thing. Where is the street? Sort of. I mean, define actual, define thing. It's the closest they have to an actual thing remaining yeah. of the Obama presidency. Right. This is his legacy, this, this street. Is, I mean, yes. <laughs> we can rename all the streets after him. It would come closest to his ha having a legacy. Yeah. So I actually used to live pretty close to where this this uh, boulevard is. Yeah. It's it, it's Rodeo Road, not Rodeo Drive. They didn't rename okay. the famous street in Beverly Hills. Right, after. of course not. Yeah. It's a road in a sort of historically black neighborhood. Cool. Because south. under Obama, we couldn't afford to shop on a Rodeo That's Drive. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> to the, wait for Trump. Those we'll... stores were going out of business. <laughs> yeah. So it's on, uh, it's on Rodeo Road, and now it is called President Barack Obama Boulevard. This is, by the way, not the first time. This is the second time in the last two years that LA has named a road after Barack Obama. It is? 
you might not remember this, but yeah. last year, part of the 134 freeway was also named the President Barack H. Obama Highway. You're kidding. Yes. And it went unnoticed because it just doesn't matter at all. <laughs> now, one thing that's worth noting yeah. here, though, is it's not called the Obama Highway. It's not called Obama Road. It's not called Barack Obama Road. It's called President Barack Obama. Well, because they have to remind us who he was. They have, yeah, who Barack Obama was that? You know, I think they don't want to admit that he's no longer president. And the reason they don't want to admit that is because if you admit that, then you admit he accomplished nothing. Yeah, he, he accomplished completely nothing. failed. Yeah. Not, there is no legacy. Had a couple of good race riots. I mean, there, yeah, that's true. He did, he did have Ferguson. a few yeah. moments yeah. of great exploitation and division, <laughs> yeah. but otherwise nothing. And so they, he's the president. He's the president. Yeah. He's not. He was the president. Nothing happened. He completely failed. This is according to the New York Times chief White House correspondent, Peter Baker, yeah. has a new book. I, 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 I was talking about this in my opening. Yeah, did you? Ahead. Okay. Yeah, no, but, yeah. but I was kidding around about it. So tell him the truth. So yeah. this book, Obama, The Call of History, he... <laughs> says that Barack Obama bla yeah. blamed Hillary for the loss, yeah. but he took it as a personal affront. I meant it as a personal affront. And, person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and by the way, Obama on the campaign trail did say, it'll be a personal insult if you don't come out and vote for me. Did he say I'll that? take it. Per yes, he went out and said, I'll take it personally. I thought it was when I came out of the voting booth and said, and screw you. Yeah, <laughs> and that'll show out. you. Yeah. <laughs> That's for Barack. Yeah. So he made it about him. He did, when he was out on that campaign trail, he was making it about him and the voters heard him and they, <laughs> they gave him the right answer. So now what are they gonna do? They're renaming these roads. That's kind of pathetic. Yeah. So the, the only thing he can do is try to pretend that the Trump legacy is the Obama legacy. <laughs> so he's now taking credit for the economy. People forget. How quickly people forget Barack Obama's chief economist, Larry Summers, when Donald Trump was predicting 3% economic growth, what did Larry Summers say? He said, the budget forecasts that U.S. economic growth will rise to 3% because of the administration's policies. Okay, fair enough if you believe in tooth fairies and ludicrous <laughs> supply-side economics. Really? That's a direct quote. Former president of Harvard, chief economist to Barack Obama. He said that in 2017 in the Washington Post. Paul Krugman, what did Paul Krugman say? Oh, I remember that. You yeah. remember that? He yeah. said, we're looking at a global recession because of Trump's election with no end in sight. And then what happened? Larry Summers in Washington Post in 2017, 3% economic growth is the tooth fairy. We hit 3% by Q2 of 2017. And for a year, right? I for mean, a year. Yeah. So we had, we had the 3%, yeah. then that quarterly economic growth went up to 4.2% in the second quarter of 2018. And now what is Q1 this year? 3.2%. We just keep hitting 3% and exceeding it. And you know, it's funny because you would think that, this is what I was talking about today was the fact that they don't report, there's no news anymore. It's, right. not, it's not fake news. It's like no news, it's zero news. Because really the discussion we should be having is what caused this? What are the flaws? Because I think there's some flaws in Trump's policies, but like still deregulation and cutting taxes works every single time. And it's like, we're, you know, so, so why, why aren't we discussing it? Well, because that, that's not what they're selling. I mean, that's not It's the, not what they're selling. And you know, obviously yeah. you can either change the narrative to go, you, you, can, you can't change your behavior. You yeah. can never do that. And so the Washington Post comes out now that you've got this great economy. Again, we just totally exceed oh, expectations. 49-year low unemployment, yeah. and the, real wages and rising. wages finally rising, and not just rising, but they're rising for the middle and lower middle class. That's right. right. Yeah. The average hourly wage right now in the United States is twenty-seven seventy-seven per hour. By the way, the, the average work week is declining slightly, so yeah. it's not as though people are working more to get that. Plus, by the way, the polls now reflect that people, even people who hate Trump, are saying, yeah, this is 
Trump's economy. Because what I like about the Democrat uh, narrative is the Democrat narrative is Trump's economy is just for billionaires, and all they're giving you is scraps, and Obama gets the credit. You know, <laughs> no, whoa, 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 wait, 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 I'm sorry, back up. Yeah. They now, now one of their defenses, Washington Post and CNN ran this just in the last few days, since the economic numbers came yeah. out, WAPO. Is this economy too good to be true? Oh, no, really? Yes. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert, it's not. It's true, it's real, it's <laughs> happening right now. CNN, why the U.S. economic growth isn't as strong as it looks. Really? So I read the article. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It yeah. is as strong well, as it looks. I mean, and the, th and the thing about it is, is the incredible narcissism of belief. I mean, you're a father, you have kids. Now they've got new sneakers. Now they've got, your dad's got a job. They can see you. Dad is different when he has a job. The whole house is different when he's got a job. Do they really think they can sell that narrative? It's like, oh, we're not eating. You know, we're not having steak for dinner. You're not, you know, what, who are they talking to? What fantasy are they? For? I mean, to tie this into another story, which yeah. is very related, you didn't see a lot of social media censorship during the last days of the Obama administration. But now that you've got reality proving the leftist narrative wrong, what yeah. is their answer? We've got to shut down everybody who's letting people in on that little secret. It, th this really is a disaster. And I mean, I, I, I personally, I have no quarter to give to it. Like I, I you yeah. know, I know saying this is, I would let like the evilest person speak because I can take them. Of course. I can take them. You, you know, know, there was a time when the ACLU was defending neo-Nazis and the KKK marching yeah. down the street. Why? Not because they supported the KKK, but because they knew that slippery slope, that moral hazard, and that principle that when you shut them down, where does that stop? Who the, decides? The Nazis, you know, Vox, of all places, that Jane Coates. Uh, Coaston. Uh, yeah. She has, this, um, she has this piece about the Nazis saying, you know, how can we make ourselves cooler? And the answer is, you can't. You know why? You're Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's that's why. That's mm -hmm. why they worry about it, because we let them speak. They have right. to worry about it. All right, what are you talking about on your show? Today, we're going to be talking about how all politics is about religion. This is true from Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, all the way to the Green New Deal. I, I want to hear this. That sounds good. Right, thanks a lot, Knowles. That's good. Um, final reflection, Game of Thrones. Got to talk about Game of Thrones. There will be no spoilers. Let me say, first of all, some of people who go on, and some of them I know, who go on... Uh, social media the day of and put out spoilers, it's not illegal. It's just not the act of a gentleman. I'm sorry. It's not courteous. It's not polite. Don't put it. But there will be no spoilers in this. I just want to say that this is one of the great acts of storytelling ever. And people sit around and they talk about Game of Thrones and they say, well, I didn't like this or I didn't like that. But they miss the whole point, which is that they're talking about Game of Thrones. And not only are they talking about Game of Thrones, they're not talking about stupid stuff, like whether Spider-Man is dead. They're talking about, <laughs> sorry, but it is stupid. They're talking about actual things that affect life because Game of Thrones is so realistic. So right now there is a conflict between who will rule. Obviously that's been, it's been in the Game of Thrones. That's something that's going on. And, you know, there are different, lots of different characters who are vying for the Iron Throne. But among them is the storm, the uh, stormborn uh, dragon lady, uh, Daenerys, who is increasingly uh, tyrannical, even as she sees it as her destiny to get rid of uh, tyrannical people. And her lover, Jon Snow, who is a much better person, uh, a much more um, noble person, but who has no will to rule. And so you're left with this idea of well, who is, who is the right person here? The person who has the will to rule or the good person who, because he's a good person, doesn't have the will to rule. And you're not just rooting for one or rooting for another. You're also thinking about the fact that's a very, very realistic situation, right? You look at countries around the world and you think, like, why are the worst people in charge of the country? Why is Maduro 
in charge of Venezuela. You know, why? how does that happen? Why aren't the good people in charge? And this is actually putting forward something that is uh, incredibly profound, incredibly interesting, and doing it in a way that's just vastly, vastly entertaining. There has been a lot of talk, uh, especially among Christians, about whether uh, any Christian should watch Game of Thrones because of the exploitative use of nudity in the, in the show. And it is exploitative. I've enjoyed it tremendously, but it, it, it's, a lot of it is unnecessary. They did it on the first show of, uh, of the season where they had three extraordinarily good-looking naked women. My favorite scene in the show, but completely meaningless, had no reason to be there. It's just some, something HBO does to bring an audience. I think every Christian should be watching Game of Thrones. I think every Christian should be watching Game of Thrones because it's a story about real life. It is not a story about, oh, how wonderful you said the word Jesus, so now you go to heaven when you get run over by a truck, you know, which is is not the way life is lived, is not the way this tragic, sad life in this world is lived. Uh, it, is a wor it is a story about reality. And if you are going to find God, you're going to find him in reality, not in fantasy. A God of fantasy is going to collapse once he confronts reality. And Game of Thrones is a show for all its fantasy for all its dragons, for all its magic, for all its craziness, is a show about reality because it's a show about power. I have just been so impressed. I cannot say. I know that there have been one or two little social justice things. They've actually kept it pretty clean. They've kept it just a, a show about what, what's going on. We're all against tyranny. We're all against uh, the things that they're against. And it's just been a, a fantastic experience. I'm looking forward to the last two episodes, but I think it is one of the great, great television shows, and I just send kudos to everyone who is involved. Tomorrow, we will be back and talking even more than we were talking today. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Oh, hooray, hurrah. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angul. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Hamas launches hundreds of rockets at Israel and Democrats defend Hamas. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show.